Everybody ready? Come on, let's go. Yo, what's up? Welcome to the show. My name is Rick Thorne. On this episode, I got a good friend of mine. His name is Jason Christopher. He's a talented, badass bass player. He's been in several bands. You might have heard of like Ministry, Stone Sour. Currently, he's Corey Taylor's bassist in his band, and he's also a published author. I'm going to call him right now. We're going to see what's cracking. Let's do this. Mr. Thorne. What up, dude? What are you doing? Uh, dodging phone calls from Wick Crane and Roy Mayorga. What are you doing? Wait, dodging from who? Dodging phone calls from Wick Crane and Roy Mayorga. What are you doing? <laughs> okay, I must be slow because I don't get it, but I ain't doing anything but calling you. What are you doing, bro? What have you been up to? Oh, shit. Just listening to my neighbor fucking vacuum upstairs and, uh, playing a little guitar he's probably mad that i was playing guitar so he was he was combating me with the vacuum <laughs> he's trying to drown you out bro with that hoover yeah you know what i mean you know, trying to drown me out with a more annoying tool than, a, than an acoustic guitar if that's even possible <laughs> that's pretty funny how are actually. you my man what's going on cooking with thorn i'm Making good bro hungry all the fucking time that's what i'm saying bro we learned how to cook in this uh this this tragedy you know like what I mean? Old, the healthy lifestyle of an old man. Well, me and you both can relate. Look, dude, you look yep. way better than I do at 50, bro. You're like ripped. Oh, come on. I do a lot of work, but you're ripped as well. No, I'm like, dude, you're... six pack is a party ball at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're still very lucky to have our fingers and toes at this point. Yeah, actually, absolutely. I mean, look, did you think turning 50, you'd still be in badass shape? Um,. I was in worse shape at 30. You were, huh? What, what, For sure. What was it? What were you doing? Like a lot of drugs and shit like that? Well, you know, I mean, my whole life I, I drank like like I was going to the electric chair and fucking did dope. But, you know, just a bunch, you know, everything to, to destroy my body as fast as I could. So I never felt good, you know? Yeah. I've always been fit. I've always had that. I've always been blessed with like, a you know, my family is Sicilian, so... I've always been blessed with the body of, uh, like, I don't have to work out as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. You were like, I could do this and get away with it. Ha -ha. Yeah. So I could destroy my shit and end up looking like a fucking massive piece of shit. But, like, I never felt good on the inside, like, physically, mentally. And, you know, now it's just a whole different ball game. And I'm actually... I'm better. I'm I'm healthier physically and mentally now than I ever was in my life. You know, so it's weird. You look at the dudes we went to high school with, and you're like, "How old are you?" Like I was, you know, like you remember when I was doing my doorman shit back in Hollywood 20 years ago. I used to play this game where I'd be at a door on Coanga or whatever, and I'd see this dude walk up, and I knew he'd be coming to see me, and I'd ask him for his ID, and I would guess his age before he got there. And I would always be off. He would always be like 10 years younger than I thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, some people, you know, they just look old, bro, especially up in Hollywood. That'll get you quick, bro. Hollywood ages you faster than Hollywood aging is like dog years. I'm telling you, bro. 
Well, what happened, what happened in your life that, uh, you know, what was it, that turning point that you were like, dude, I need to change this shit around? My son, you know, my kid was born. Yeah. And um, I didn't necessarily change it, you know, immediately. Like, they, like everybody told me when, when, when before I had him that uh, my life was going to change, my heart was going to break open, and I was like, whatever, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I've always just been this cynical, fucking cold-hearted bastard. <laughs> but you know it's true like when he was born like something happened to me and a change started it didn't happen overnight it wasn't like some immediate i'm gonna fix everything and stop banging all these whores you know what i mean like it just <clears throat> it gradually progressed as as he got more awesome i wanted to get more awesome for him you know what i mean yep so he's eight now so over the transition of almost a decade is what it took to get me to where i am today and i'm not anywhere special today but i'm definitely like they say in 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 one of those programs you know i'm not i'm not where i want to be but i sure as hell ain't where i used to be (laughs) right work in progress right yeah always constantly man you know kids do that to you bro i got two kids myself and like you just you you yeah i know what you mean you gradually just kind of go and then, oh, wait, oh, so I either keep going down this road and then you got this kid looking at you going, uh, or take care of this thing. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you, it changes you. And I always heard that as well. My mom always used to say that. But, yeah, it does. They change you. And that's a good thing, though. Your son, he's, he looks all, he's adorable kid. He's dude. a good kid. Yeah. He's a good kid. And I don't want him to do the things that I did. You know, like I don't want him to turn out like I did. So I got to fucking be an example of some sort. That's the word I was looking for, example. That's you know, it. like my dad split when I was two. My, you know, whatever. So I'm not crying about anything, but I'm just saying, like, I didn't, I didn't really have a, a healthy male role model growing up to tell me, like, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't bring fucking porn to show and tell in first grade, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. I got expelled from Catholic school. Did you really? Oh, God, I've gotten thrown out of every school I ever went to from first grade up until ninth grade where they put me in continuation school. And it was real easy just to hang out in there and get into fistfights for four years. Wait, wait, wait. So, that's crazy. Wait. So let me let me back up here. So if you brought that to school, pornography, it had to be on a VHS tape. No, no, no. Oh, dude, this was before VCRs, man. I'm old, man. Was it a magazine? You brought a magazine in? Yeah, yeah. My stepdad, here's what happened, right? Scott Piazza brought this little tiny picture of boobs in, right, into into school one day. And he showed showed me. And I was like, (laughs) boobs. And fucking that Friday was show and tell. And my stepdad kept his Hustler magazines under the couch in the living room. So I took that Hustler magazine and I cut out three or four pictures, like full length color pictures of like fucking gonzo porn. You know what I mean? And I folded them up and I put them in. Remember those treasure, those little treasure chests that would hold like the Pez type candy? Yep. I took one of those and I put and I folded all the pictures up and I put them in the little treasure chest and I brought them to show and tell. Because there was nobody there to tell me that that was bad, <laughs> that, that that was not a good idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so crazy. fucking, I brought him in, and 
I got, you know, everybody flipped out. The nuns went crazy. I got brought to the head nun's office, and my mom had to come pick me up. Wow. And what my dad got pissed at, my stepdad got mad, not because I brought these porn pictures in, but because I cut out the pictures from his <laughs> from his magazine. No way, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fucking funny, dude. That's so hilarious. you know, I'm just trying. I'm just trying not to distort my son's reality too yeah. much. Yeah, I got you. Well, hey, you're breaking the cycle. Not a lot of people yeah. can do that, you know. I know. I know. It's sad, but it's good that we're doing it. You know. Yeah, we have to. What What's it been like though? I mean, being a traveling musician. In all these bands and being away and stuff, it's like, is that has that been difficult for you being a dad or, you know? Um, I mean, yes and no. You know, it's my job, so I got to do it. And you know, we're blessed with the the luxury of FaceTime and video chatting and all that stuff these days. Like he lives in Arizona right now. He just moved. His mom and him moved a few months ago, and we FaceTime every night and every day. And I and I drive out there and see him when I can. And um, I'm actually moving to Vegas in a few weeks, so I'm going to be a lot closer to him so I could take him on, on the weekends and stuff and do all that weekend dad shit for now until I get up there. But, um, I mean, yeah, it hurts, especially, like, when we go away for six to eight weeks at a time. And I, when he was a baby, I remember that was, that was really messed up because me and his mom still lived together. And, and, like, I would leave for a tour, and he was, like, one or whatever to – and then I would come home and try to be a dad, and she'd be like, "Oh, we don't do that anymore. It's done like this now." <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh," and I have to like relearn everything because he grew up so much in that month or two months, you know? Yeah, man. So that was like that was like oof, you know? Hey, I'm buying my daughter a car today after this podcast. My goodness. Well, she's 14 and a half, but I'm getting a deal on this car. I'm gonna get an early jump on it. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. But the thing yeah, yeah. is, you know, get the permit, and then we drive together, you know, the car, this, that, you know, just prepping it, you know? But I'm like, dude, this is a smoking deal. And it's crazy, bro, because it just seems like the other day I was changing diapers, bro. It's not like an old fart, but it's true. It's like, where did the time go? Even though I was there, and I spent yeah. so much time with them, it's like, damn. So if she's that old, that means I'm that much older. Damn. Yeah, what? for sure. I mean, I mean, dude, me and Corey – have been best friends for 20, like not like 18 years. And Griff, his son is a fucking singer in a metal band now. You know what I mean? Crazy. And they're like, and they're great. And they're playing all these shows and doing all this. Stuff. And I just look at him. And I remember when he was fucking six months old, like running up in between my legs, like, ah! and I'm like, Oh my God, where does this time? Where does this time go? Yeah. It does. What, what's no. the name of his son's band's name? What's the name of that? Band? Uh, Ven Vendit V E N D E D. It's fucking great. Oh, it's I have to check him out. Him and clown. Him and clown's son. They got a band together with, with a couple of kids from Des Moines, and they're fucking great. Dude, that's sick. That's amazing. Yeah. But it's also like another example of good parenting. You know, like Corey's a great dad. He's he's fucking very hands on, and and he, he it shows in his son. You know, his son basically emulates him and it's fucking amazing. Well, I see that too with you when you post stuff with your son on Instagram, you could you could see the bond and the love you guys have. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm very hands on with him. It's really hard not for him for me and not to not have him here at the moment. 
yeah. especially during the pandemic. And I'm in Cal, I'm the only in Calabasas, so I don't really have many friends. I don't go out at all, really. <laughs> well, I mean, so. yeah, no, I get it. Well, also too, it's like, I think we, you kind of did that, you know, you don't want to be like the dude, you know, every night at the same, you know what I mean? Same spot. You know, no. Things change, you know what I mean? Um, Not the old guy in the club. Definitely. My daughter asked me the other day, she goes, why didn't you ever go out to clubs? I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> Let me tell you something. I already did that. I'll be like the 50 year old lurker in the background. Dude's be like, dude, who invited grandpa? Like, get out of here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I go to the rainbow every Saturday night for dinner. With, with Mike Maglieri and his wife and a couple of friends, you know? Like, that's my big week night out. That's my big night out. I go have some pasta and I hang out and then I go home and that's it. I mean, I hear you. I'll come up there when I meet you guys. Listen, I, I would go out if it was an event. That's what I tried to tell my daughter. Like, I mean, it was like an event or like something I have to go to, but it's like, like I'm bored on Friday. I'm going to go up, like, see what's cracking on Coanga. I, you know what I mean? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not. Like, dude, like, shit. Yeah. Like, my buddy Riggs, he called me up the other day. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to Risk's art opening in, in Malibu. He's doing some signings of his paintings. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah, let's do it. You know, like, Kelly's an old friend. So we went down to Malibu and we hung out for like an hour. And it was it was great. You know what I mean? But, like, if it's not like a set event, I'm not just fucking tripping down Hollywood Boulevard looking for girls. You know what I mean? Yeah, we already did that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it's, many decades, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so how was that event? The risk is killing it, huh? Oh man, he's such—he's so great. He's such a sweet guy, you know, and he's such a talented fucking dude. He's always been talented. I remember, you know, back in the third rail days when we were all hanging at crazy girls and shit, and then, you know, just, just, just—I don't want to say reinvent because he's always been an artist, but like, you know, just to fucking come up so so hard like that and be so successful is fucking great to watch it's great to see and it's inspiring to me you know because i come from i come from that time when when you know if you were like 22 you were too old to make it in the music business you know what i mean yeah. so that just meant that just meant like you got to make it at a certain age or you're fucking done and you're just going to go work at a gas station for the rest of your life and that's not true at all like i did i mean fuck man we got over this past, over the whole pandemic, I think we got three top 10 hits on active rock radio or whatever with Corey's thing. And I'm 50, you know, and that shit just happened. So, yeah, I've been playing in successful bands or whatever for the past 20 years on and off. But like shit didn't really start flowing till just now, just recently. Well, that's so, I, I, I've talked about this before. People don't realize like they just see like the now. You know, right. and, I, and, I, and I've been guilty of that. Like, who's this band? And then you got to stop and go, like, before I was in a band, I would think that way. And you, right. you'd be like, and then you'd go, oh, wait, that band's been together like 14 years. They finally got something going on. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like, like it's, you just see, like, the now instant, like, what? Um, are you from California? No, no. I grew up in uh, Woodstock, New York, and Bergen County, New Jersey. So then you moved out here when? Like 30 years ago or something? Man, I moved out here in 94. Got it. And I stayed here for a year and got thrown. I like got evicted because of my addictions and all that stuff and went back to New York and had to do some stuff there for like two or three years. And then I came back out in like 99 and I've been here ever since. Yeah, that's so, about around the time we met. Seems yeah. like it. Yeah, right around there. Um, about 2000, 2001, back in those old kickwear, fucking dusty 
and Todd days. Yep. <laughs> I mean, did that, that even fly? That was fucking 20 years ago. Um, how, yeah. how did you link up with Corey? You said you've been friends for like 20 years. Yeah. I mean, we met at the Rainbow when they, when they were, when Slipknot was out here doing the third record. And uh, we almost got into a fist fight because we were both hammered and then became best friends like immediately after that. <laughs> That's a classic. I, mean, I love those that classic fight story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we almost, like, because I'm the loud, drunk whiskey guy at the bar and it needs all the attention. And then he was the loud, drunk whiskey guy in the bar that needed all the attention. And the two alphas meet. And, you know, it's either fight or hang. And luckily, somebody was there to intervene. <laughs> that was, a, that I think it was actually Tom Hazart. He was like a mutual friend of both of us. And he was like, you guys need to be friends. You're not going to fight. And I was like, and we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, Rrr. okay. Well, what were you fighting over? Here. Do you remember? Just It was just like, just I was the vibe. The, I wanted to be, I wanted the attention. I wanted to be the loud one. And he was the loud one. And I was like, fuck you. I didn't even know who he was. We hung out for like two weeks before I even knew he sang in fucking Slipknot. But like that night, we, we went back to my house. We brought everybody back. I lived behind Tower Video off of Sunset in a basement apartment. And we went back to my house and played acoustic all night and it's we've it's been downhill ever since basically <laughs> <laughs> well you but you guys you guys are getting ready to go on tour yeah man three three weeks i'm counting down the days i was just about to start rehearsing after this after this little thing here dang uh, doing, that's sick dude i'm stoked for you bro dude you have no idea how bad i want to get on a tour bus and take a pointless nap at two in the afternoon and not and not feel bad about it <laughs> yeah I, you know i know the feeling you're talking about yeah that that feel it's free that feeling of freedom it feels like yeah know? yeah just in the middle of fucking nowhere like i got nothing to do until five o'clock i'm gonna take a nap but most of the shows are sold out um it's a six-week run i am i am excited to finally be on a tour after all this time where there is not one person in the band or crew that I have a problem with. <laughs> <laughs> not, yet. You know hey, not yet. Not yet. You not know yet. Me. Not yet. You know me. There's always a problem with somebody. That's the fucking <laughs> Italian in you, Tony. Huh? You don't fucking take this hey, shit. What the fuck did that guy just say to me? Get fuck the fuck you. out of here. Yeah. No, I mean, these, the band is my, these guys, it's literally a band of brothers, man. You know, we put this thing together because we like Corey put this thing together because he wanted to have fun, you know. And who else but to have fun with, with except your brothers that you've been playing with, like me and Dustin and Tooch. We've all been me and Tooch have been playing in bands together since I've known you. Wow. You know, we were we were in Black President together, and we've just been best friends ever since. That's and right. Me and Dustin, Black me and Dustin have been yeah yeah dude old school. Sorry to and cut me you and off, Dustin. Yeah have been playing with Corey for on and off for 15 years. I've been playing with Corey since day one we met and we brought Zach in cause he's just like this amazing, he's like this unicorn fucking guitar player, singer guy, you know, it's hard to get someone to match Tooch, Christian Martucci, we call Tooch, you know, it's hard to get, it's hard to get someone that could keep up with Tooch and Zach does it like it's just like muscle memory at this point. Those two. It's like watching Step Brothers with those guys playing guitar with each other. 
Awesome, dude. Yeah, man, when, yeah. I, when I saw your guys' tour schedule pop up, I was like, okay, this is going to be, this tour is going to break the ice for everyone to go, it's okay to tour again. They did it. Yeah, man. Let's do it's it. It's crazy. We're you like know? the first ones that are actually doing like, a, I think we're the first ones that are actually doing like a real run, you know? And it's all COVID compliant. Like we're, you know, we, we're very, we're being very careful and safe and most of us are vaccinated and everybody's fucking, we're not allowed to, we're, you know, we're not allowed to go. There's no guest list. There's no family. We're not going out to dinner with anybody. You know what I mean? Like we're not allowed to hang out with anybody but the crew and the band and that's it. You know, so this is like a test run to see how it goes. Yeah, well, is it? In, it's in. It's indoors, right? It's not like the drive up. There. There's there's a bunch outdoors. There's because it's going to be in you know May and end of May and June. So there's there's a bunch outdoors. There's a bunch indoors. But you know everybody's got to have test results and masked up and all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? Like we're not just going to Florida and fucking playing a sold out show to fucking 2000 people. Like nobody gives a fuck. You know, we're trying to keep, we're, we're trying to keep it as safe as we can and just show the world that maybe everybody else can be ready to move on too. Yeah. I really think that this tour is going to break it like for everybody. And then they're, they're going to go, well, you know, those guys did it. Like, let's go, let's hit the same spots or same cities or same areas. And they accepted it. Let's make this happen. It's like we're yeah, going man. to Texas, right? Texas and places like that. Doing a lot of Texas, and even though Texas is like full on open, we're still doing the COVID compliant, like small percentage in the venue of people. We're not fucking packing it out, you know. And we're just being real careful with it, and hopefully it goes successfully. I think it will, and then we can get all our fucking brothers and sisters back to work. Exactly. You know? Yes. Absolutely, man. Um, you said a band earlier that that I remember. Black President, dude. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Whatever happened to that band, dude? Well, we imploded like most fucking punk bands with no money do. We all had our issues with, you know, and it it was best that we just left it at where it was. I mean, I I I still love that record. It's a great record, and uh, I I still I love the fact that we were. I was introduced to. Roy Mayorga and Christian Martucci through that band and we've been all been best friends and been playing with each other ever since you know like um we were we were actually a cover band called Shithead before we became Black President and we used to like just jam we used to just play a bunch of punk covers at the Dragonfly and all our friends would come and we would just have a great time you know and then that would that turned into Black President made a record, did a couple of tours with like TSOL and Bouncing Souls and stuff, and that was actually my first band that I went to Europe with. Like I'd never been to Europe before, so that was really fun. You guys did Warp Tour too. We did Warp Tour. It was probably one of the most miserable experiences of our life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough tour, bro. I mean, it's a rough tour if you got no money, no support. You're in a van. It's the middle of fucking summer. You know, everybody's angry and everybody's got their their issues. And it's and we're not we're too young to work them out maturely. You know, so like, but you know what, man? Like, as bad as shit went down with all that stuff, man, I'll always be in Charlie Paulson's debt for introducing me to Christian and Roy and all that stuff and just giving me that experience because who knows where I would be without that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. 
There's another band that you played with that I like a lot is Ministry, dude. Man, that was a fucking great phone call to get. I bet, bro. Holy I, shit. I was, I was playing in Prong, and I had actually just quit Prong. We were, we were still on tour when I quit, but I, I told them that I was going to finish out the last two weeks because we did like fucking 43 shows in 44 days in like a bandwagon, and I was just done. Like <laughs> That was the tour that broke me, and I, I looked at Tommy, and I, and I was miserable, and he knew it, and everybody knew it, and I was making the tour miserable, and I just quit, and he was like, all right, you know, whatever. And then literally the morning after I had quit Prong, Roy called me. <clears throat> And he goes, hey, they just, uh, ministry just called me and asked me if I wanted to play drums and they need a bass player. And I mentioned you, you want to do, you want to play in ministry? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to play in ministry. I was like, do I have to like, I was like, do I have to audition or anything? I was like, no, man, I told him, I told him you were. And they were like, oh yeah, cool. So that was, that was it. So you just got it. You got the gig. Like, fuck it, let's do it. I mean, that's the fucking beauty of all that shit. You know, like when you start playing with all these people, like I don't. You don't have to audition anymore. People just are just like, oh, Jason, fuck yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah. Like when I played with Sebastian Bach, I didn't have to audition for him either. How's I didn't even fucking rehearse. Like I had to meet I had to meet them in North Carolina. I just got on a plane and drove to the first and like flew to the first show. So badass. How's it working with him? With Sebastian? He's great, man. I mean, I was never like a huge Skid Row fan growing up because like where I where I lived in in Jersey, if you didn't listen to Slayer and Maiden only, you would get beat up. <laughs> so I would like, but I mean like Slave to the Grind was such an undeniably amazing metal record that like I would just like sit in my room and fucking listen to that shit with the windows closed. Yeah, yeah, under the yeah. under under your blankets and shit like with the real low yeah. like. Yeah, and then it was okay once Kerry King like mentioned it on Headbangers Ball that it was one of the best records ever. Then it was okay to listen to it, but until then, I had to keep it quiet. So, you know, but I mean, it was great. It was such a fucking great experience playing with getting getting to play with the legend, fucking Sebastian Bach. You know what I mean? That's badass, dude. Yeah, as crazy as shit gets sometimes on on those buses and in the at those shows. It's still all of it's an amazing experience. Same with ministry, you know, like all those fucking guys are old and crazy and, you know, I'm, I'm hard to deal with on a, on a personal level sometimes because I have a hard time fucking adjusting my emotions to suit other people's needs. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're saying, dude. I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but everything's fucking, you know, there are, it's all going to make for a great third book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I want to get into your books after this. Uh, after the, uh, to ask you one more question about ministry. Uh, Pellhead. You know about Pellhead, right? No. Ministry did, uh, or I guess Al Jurgensen did, uh, like a two or three song uh, EP with Ian McKay back in the day. Okay. And it's called Pellhead. And they did, okay. I Will Surrender. They did, I Will, or, I will Refuse. Uh, uh, what was the other ones? I Refuse was the big one. No Bunny was one of their songs. Um, right. I don't know if you know that or not. You should check it out, dude. It's like it's. it's no, it's, I'm it's, actually quite unfamiliar with it. I know Lard, the thing that he did with yep, uh, Yellow. Yep. <laughs> and what's weird is what's weird about it is is like even that band and the same with Pellhead with Ian is like they're the complete opposite shit. Because I was like really big Ian McKay fan. You know what I mean? 
Right. And when that came out, I was like, dude, I don't know what to expect from this. And it's pretty, pretty sick, dude. So you should check it out. You know. Right. I will, for sure. You know what's weird is that I wasn't an industrial guy either growing up, you know? Like when I got asked to join ministry, I knew I knew a couple of songs. You know, I may get some fucking backlash for this, but I don't give a shit. And um, like I didn't know any of their fucking music. You know what I mean? Like I listened to fucking whatever Jesus built my hot rod shit like that that came on fucking the radio or whatever. But like I had to learn all that stuff. And I, you know, it was the same with Stone Sour and all that shit. And Sebastian Bach and Skid Row and all that. Like. The the great the beautiful part about being a hired gun that gets to play in such a variety of bands that I do is that I actually get turned on to all this music too, and I become a fan over time. I become a fan when I learn the, when I actually learn the music. I'm like, holy shit! Like when I fucking heard Filth Pig for the first time, I was like, holy shit! This is a great song. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? Me and you are the same way because I I, I think. What got me into ministry was Pellhead because I right. was at Ian McCabe. You know, and I, I'm the same with you. I heard a couple songs. I know exactly what you're saying. Actually, that Pellhead's on Wax Tracks. It came out in 1988. I'm looking up right now. It was, it was Ian McKay, Al Jurgensen, Chris, Chris Connolly. Uh, and it was like a three song. You know what I mean? I Will Refuse is like one of the sickest songs on there. And I wrote I'll definitely to definitely check it out. Yeah, check it out because I think me and you are the same. We're like, you're into it, you know, a couple songs. You're like, really not your shit. And then like, and then the more you listen to it, in your case, you got to actually play and tour it. You're going to become part right. of it. You know what I mean? You're going to be into it. You know what I mean? It's like this is sick. Right. You know. I usually have to become a part of it to get into it. You know. Absolutely. Otherwise, you just like seem like it would just be like a wooden stick. Like, what am I doing? You know. Yeah. Like I grew up a fucking metalhead who just wanted to drink beer and smoke weed and fucking, you know, listen to Master of Puppets. And I missed so I missed out on like a lot of the good shit. You know, like I was just listening to fucking theater of pain and fucking you know you know what i mean but like when i so when i get on the bus or when i'm hanging out at dinner with like christian martucci and Corey and fucking all like those guys are literally encyclopedias of music because their love for music is different than my love for music like i always just did it for the attention like i was the guy that played the tennis racket in the mirror all throughout high school and only fucking got into playing music because i wanted to get laid and fucking drink for free and it didn't become a therapeutic thing for me until much later in life you know it didn't really become it didn't become a tool for my suicidal thoughts or whatever until you know probably 15 years ago you know when i actually started getting good at it and um so it's like a little, I get a little intimidated when I'm sitting at the table with those guys and they're talking about like all the old Kiss records and all the old Damned records and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, huh? But I learn a lot from them too because I'm not that insecure that I have to sit there and pretend that I know what they're talking about. I'm like, I, like when you ask me about Pellhead, I'm like, I don't fucking know. I could have just like easily went on to Google and saw that shit and been like, oh yeah, totally. I know what you're talking about because I don't want to fucking sound like an idiot on this interview. <laughs> no, I like I like the honesty, dude. It's all good. I mean, not everybody's yeah. gonna know everything. I mean, and to be honest with you, Pellhead wasn't like it was like one of those kind of like more kind of like uh, I don't know, like not cult thing, but like it wasn't like it never really was that big. You know what I mean? Right. It was just an obscure side thing that you're not gonna know unless you're a huge ministry fan or a huge 
yeah. fucking Ian McKay fan, and you you go deep with that shit. Well, what was crazy is Ian was known for Straight Edge, and Al Jurgensen obviously isn't. So it was just a weird combo. <laughs> like you have this industrial, and you have this like hardcore. It's just like a weird combo, and that's back before people were really like collabing like they do today. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, I you know I I get it, but uh, uh. Yeah, check them out, though, dude. Let's talk about your books, dude. Rogue to Nowhere. What's up? Yeah, What's man. Um, I just wrote a fucking book, man. You know, like I was blah. I would be a, I was a door. I was the doorman in Hollywood, and I would get drunk and all coked up at work. And I would get out of work at 2 o'clock, completely annoyed at everybody in Hollywood. And I would come home and get on the Internet and, and fucking blog about it with, like, one eye open and typing with one finger on the keyboard about how shitty Hollywood is and all the people in it and blah, blah, blah. And people started digging it. You know, people liked my honesty or liked the way I phrased things or whatever. So I just kept writing and I started a blog. And then here's the funny shit. Here's some funny shit. I'm on a, I was on a, I was at a photo shoot for Corey's second book, I think, or third book, area 51, I think it's called. And, um, I'm on the cover of that as punk rock Reagan. <clears throat> awesome. So I'm at this, I'm at this photo shoot for his book and I get a message on Instagram from this guy. I don't know, Tom Kapinos, Right. And he's like, Hey man, not for nothing, but from a failed musician turned successful writer, I stumbled on your blogs, fucking Googling some acoustic shit that Corey did. And I think you're a really gifted writer. And I was like, Oh, that's really nice. So I read the message out loud and Corey was like, oh, that's cool, man. Who wrote that? And I was like, this guy, Tom Kapinos. And he goes, Tom Kapinos? That guy created Californication. And I was like, no fucking way. So I Googled him, looked him up, and I was like, oh, shit, this guy's legit. Long story short, we, I, hooked, I messaged him back. We ended up meeting for lunch at Genghis Cohen over on Fairfax and Melrose. And he convinced me to write a book. So I did. And I self-published, sold a bunch of copies on my Instagram, and people fucking dug it, and I got picked up by uh, this literary, literary company called Rare Bird. They're an independent company out here that do a lot of big books, and they signed me for a three book deal. So I just fucking wow. I have, like to have a because I you know I self published with a soft cover or whatever it was like you know I made them for like two dollars a book or whatever, and came up with all the shit myself, and then it turned into like this fucking hardcover that people are like buying on Amazon and whatever. <laughs> it's just, it's so crazy to me that that shit actually like built into what, that I built it into what it is now. And it's not like anything huge now, but for me it is, you know what I mean? Cause I'm a fucking hired gun that like plays everybody else's music and shit. So for people to actually like, they, I get a lot of messages about people that people from people with like addiction problems and, suicidal problems and stuff like that and and they're like your book has really helped me like i had matt pinfield write the forward for it because he had the original version somebody had given it to him when he got into that really bad car accident he was in a hospital and he he was like dude your book got me through one of the toughest times in my life and i was like holy shit dude you know what i mean like i used to look up to matt pinfield i still do but like you know, Matt Pinfield is Matt Pinfield. He turned he turned us on to everything alternative in the nineties, you know what I mean? So to have that shit come up, it's just it, it's a really good feeling. It makes me feel really good. So I just finished the second book, 
which is called Bleeding Internally since 1971. That's coming out in September. So rad, dude. That's a rad so, story. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a trilogy. The first book is about, you know, what I just told you, how I came out here. I drove out here in 1994 with my guitar player because we wanted to be in fucking Guns N' Roses <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. You know what I mean? And I got fucking booted out of here a year later with a heroin habit and no money. And um, that's the first book. The second book picks up when I get back to New York. And the third book is going to pick up from when I come back here in 99 or whatever, you know? Oh, okay. So, the, so Rogue to Nowhere is basically like... It's part one. And that's about like getting all messed up on drugs, coming out to L.A. Yeah, like I came out here. My cousin owned the Viper Room with Johnny Depp, and I, I just like drove out here on a whim and finally got in touch with him and ended up becoming a bar, a fucking the stock boy at the Viper Room for that year, which was this crazy experience because it was right after River passed away. And, you know, there was a line fucking down the block every night to get into that place. It was the hottest watering hole in the world at that point, you know? So from for like a fucking I was like a twenty three year old wet brain from Woodstock. <laughs> Holy shit, man! Is that Kate Moss? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, so I, I got a, you. You were you were it's so pretty fun. Yeah. They're trying to tear so, out yeah. the Viper Room, bro. I think I thought they were leaving it. Like I heard that they were gonna leave it there and then build this shitty hotel over it or around it or something or. I don't even know. I don't know. I was down there. I rode past the other day. Uh, Tommy had the door open, and I was, started talking to him. He's like, oh, they're going to tear it down. They're not going to tear it down. If they do, they'll have a Viper room at the bottom of the new place. I said, it won't be the same. It'll be gone, you know? I mean, it hasn't been the same in forever because we, you know, like. I guess for me, like, seeing a lot of this trip being torn out, it's kind of like, damn, I've been hanging out up here. Yeah. 30 years and it's like it's all apartments now and shit what's going on yeah i try not to pay too much attention to that because it hurts my soul to watch you know like we played the last show me and Corey did one of the last shows at the house of blues that last week it was like us steel panther and anthrax we did like the last week of shows at the house of blues before it got shut down oh shit really dang yeah, yeah. so that was that was a little painful and you know luckily you know Mike holds strong family ties, and so like the whiskey and the rainbow and shit like that aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Well, they're they're considered historic buildings. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I was asking about Viper, and they're like, no, it's not. So, who knows? Um, well, I'm stoked on the books, though, dude. That's amazing. You know, you know what I think a lot of people like about you, and I know what I like about you, is your honesty. It's hard to find that in people. It's hard to well, find. Yeah, it's hard to find that in people that like. That, that that haven't confronted themselves and be like and 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 then they feel stupid to ask a question or they want to act like they fit in or the smoke and mirrors and shit i don't know i just feel like with you i've always felt that way with you that you've always this vibe about you has always been very genuine and honest and i think that's why these things happen for you the good thing i mean i thank you man i appreciate that because i do try very hard to be genuine and authentic and it, you know, I, sh it shoots, I shoot myself in the foot a lot because of it, you know, because sometimes you should just keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> yeah, people get, I, I know what you're saying. But yeah. I can't do that, you know, like, like remember when Ghostface Killer had that blog or that, that fucking, that little thing? Like he would just like do a review on a band every week in some magazine or something. And he was just like the most vicious 
<laughs> like he would just rip into fucking people. Like I, I, I saw that and I saw the attention that it got. And I was like, I was pray. I lay guilt. I was guilty of doing that for a while, you know? Yeah. Like, but I, I think that you're, you know. your East coast style, bro. East coast yeah, Italian style. It's different. You, you get people joke differently out there. You know what I mean? It is. You know, you got to have a real tough, a real, a real tough, fucking set of skins to hang out with me for a long period of time a lot of people don't make it <laughs> <laughs> hey so you, yeah. you you've been you've been hired in all these bands and you're writing books you're doing great stuff you're doing rad stuff you've improved your life you're in great shape you got a healthy son but you're also doing your own music your own music right i am yeah yeah that's the dark the little dark side of me that I like to bring out every once in a while. It's tough for me to bring that shit out, man. I've been playing this stuff for a long time, but I never really thought I was good enough. It was good enough for anybody else to listen to. I was also scared of being critiqued because people like to critique, you know? Like, I I like I like to critique their, you know, judge, let ye not be judged, whatever that fucking saying is, you know? So I was always just very wary of bringing it out to the public and um i've also got you know i got some really good feedback from that and that people really dig the the lyrics and the the way it's presented and it helps a lot of people like i get a lot of messages about that too you know like if you just go to jason christopher on fucking spotify or apple or whatever the my acoustic shit comes up and it's nothing big you know it's just me and my acoustic and like you know i do a little fancy violin shit on the keyboards and some little drum machiney stuff and I've been recording a lot of stuff with my buddy Ray Hartman and Steve Stevie D from Buck Cherry at his studio, and uh, it's just it's really therapeutic for me to get to finally be able to get it out there to the public, you know, because when I've always found that when if you have something deep and dark that you're hiding inside, if you just put it out there, it takes the power out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do know so what you like, mean. Yeah. And it, and it makes it seem, you know, people relate because everybody relates to a, a little suicidal thought now and then or a dark, insecure feeling. And that's all I really write about, you know, because that's my therapy. Like I was talking about before, I didn't really realize I could, I could do that until 15 years, 10, 10 years ago, you know, 15 years ago when I actually first got sober, I had no outlet. And, um, I just picked up an acoustic and started playing it upside down and backwards because <laughs> <laughs> I'm lefty, you know, and uh, I didn't really know how to switch strings around too hard. So they're all real simple. It's all real simple stuff, but it, it's really therapeutic for me, you know, like it's really helped me move on from some stuff. Like I just went through a breakup last year, the, the one that really fucking broke my heart. You know, she was the one, she was the one and she got like a whole record. <laughs> I mean, but, I hey, but she, she gets no royalties though, dude. Uh, actually, TuneCore pays me at least $20 every three months for my skins. <laughs> I hear you, dude. Yeah, but man. you know, this, this, this one isn't about the money, dude. You know, this, this I record, know, the, I know. the record, the record that I wrote this past year through this pandemic has literally prevented me from fucking taking a bottle of pills and killing myself because it was the end of the world, man. She was the one I'm old. I'm going to die alone. 
Um, nobody fucking wants me. I'm unlovable and unwanted. You know what I mean? Like all that shit that comes up when we go through a breakup and she's out there fucking dancing with her new boyfriend and putting it all over the internet. And I got to fucking sit there and look at it because I don't have the wherewithal to not look at it. And I like to get into that pain, you know? Yeah. And the only thing that was getting it out was writing those songs, man. So they're heavy. They're deep. Those, those, are, those are my life, those songs, you know? And it got me through it. And I'm still not all the way through it, man. Like, I still think about that bullshit every day and want to go look at her Instagram and all that stuff, but I don't, you know, because I don't want the pain anymore. I just want it to go away. But, uh, yeah, like, if it wasn't for that music, it wasn't, if it wasn't for fucking music, I don't know where the hell I'd be right now. So therapeutic, dude. Yeah, because there's no darker feeling in the world than thinking that your son or your child is better off without you, you know? So writing that, writing that shit really got, that, got me through it. Absolutely, dude. Man, like that's where well, you found a different outlet besides going to like, you know, the drugs and alcohol and all that, you know what I mean? To like mask it and cover it up, you stuff it, you faced it. And like that's part of the thing I was saying earlier that's likable about you is that your honesty you know, you're able to, like, fix the problem or work on the problem. You know what I'm saying? Definitely work on the problem. Fixing, not so much sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your, what's your, dude, I've really been stoked on this interview. I'm stoked for everything that you're doing. I'm looking forward Me to, like, too, your, man. your next book. You're doing your own music. You're touring. You're a great father. You're a good example. As much Thanks, as you, as, as much as you may not, because I know sometimes I look at your Instagram and you beat up on yourself and shit. You gotta stop yeah, that. I'm good at you that. Got, you gotta stop that, dude. You've accomplished so much in your life. You're blessed. You're still here. You know what I mean? To be an example to other people, helping other people. That's like that's that's a beautiful thing. So you're doing a lot Thanks, more than man. you think you're actually doing. Yeah, so. my baby mama really helped me along with that because I was really negative about myself and I'd really that's all I would do is put out that negativity and how bad how down I was on myself and how bad I am, how fucking shitty i am and what a scumbag i am and she was like dude you got to stop putting that out into the universe because whatever you put out into the universe comes back at you tenfold and it was you know what i mean like the more i put that shit out the worse i would get and the more people would fucking move away from me because who wants to hang out with that shit <laughs> you know what i mean and um i just i just stopped doing it like even if i still felt that way i would that's where shitty guru came from you know what i mean like Cause I was in a bad place and I was watching all these rock stars on their Instagrams talking about fucking, here's what I do to help myself and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, these motherfuckers, I'm, I'm the shittiest guru ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and know, that's when I, yeah, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is like, that's what like your, your, that's how your subconscious mind works anyways. You know, like you get what you think and say, and no one tells you like, Oh, this is how your subconscious mind works. But I studied it. Because I, right. I had some of my own issues in life that I had to work through, like we all do. And what I realized was is that by telling the same story, I kept getting the same result. So by telling a new story, I started to get different results because that's just pretty right. much how your mind works. And, and I never knew that. And so I can relate to what you're saying. Like when you stop saying certain things, you're going to see things in a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man, for sure. Like I believed I was a piece of shit. And I was, you know, so like my actions would not stop i would always just act like a piece of shit and then when people would call me a piece of shit i'd be like see i told you i was a piece of shit you know what i mean so just stop acting like a piece of shit and people and it goes away fast you know like it happens quick 
Like when I was like, I'm going to stop being a fucking asshole and a piece of shit and shit just happened. And I just, now I'm not. And that's good. (laughs) It is. is. It's good for me. It's good for everyone else around me. And, you know, I stopped getting all these fucking half, you know, because like nobody wants to hang out with a miserable piece of shit on tour. I'm a great bass player. I'm a great singer, whatever, but I'm a fucking asshole. So like who wants to hang out with that on a bus for 20 two hours a fucking day, you know, just to get that two hours of talent on the stage. Nobody. So I would lose all these gigs. I lost a ministry gig. I lost the Sebastian gig. You know, I lost the stone sour gig. I lost all these fucking great jobs because I couldn't get out of my own way. Oh, I see. Because I had expectations and I had an ego and all that crazy shit, you know, and you know, fucking, Corey is a goddamn saint for putting up with me for this long. That guy, you know, like that guy deserves a medal for being my best friend for as long as he has. But because of him and because of a couple of other friends of mine, like Tooch and everybody, I've changed. You know, I went to therapy. They got me like Tooch made me go to therapy and I had to do all this shit to like change myself. And it worked. And, you know, now we're on top of the world, ma. <laughs> well, it's a success story, and now you're going to see the real success in your life. You know, it's going to come. It's going to right. keep coming and to it, you. Yeah. And I'm not looking at it like, fucking look at me now. You know what I mean? I look at it as like, holy fuck, I'm so grateful to be able to have these opportunities that I've been given after being such a fucking scumbag my whole life. You know what I mean? Like, it's never. So the point is, it's like it's never too late to change. And it's never too late to make it. And it's never too late to do what you want to do with your life and live your dream, you know? It's not. And the, and you, and the first step, anyone listening, the first step is just your own personal way of thinking. It really right. is. It really, I mean, what you say to yourself and what you say out loud is really what steers you down the fucking road. You know what I mean? Man, it's so fucking true. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I've had a great time talking to you. I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully I get to see you guys play soon. Um What's I do your... have to say yeah. that consistently for the past 20 years, every time I've seen you on the fucking strip or whatever, I've always gotten a little happier than I was before I saw you. <laughs> That's good. Hell yeah. Because I love you. You're a genuine, real motherfucker, and you just always got a smile on your face and a handshake in your hand. You ah, you're rad, dude. Thanks a lot. Hell yeah, bro. Good vibes. Good vibes for sure, bro. Um, well, I want everybody to follow you on Instagram. What is it? Yeah, man. Jason Christopher 1971 is my Instagram. And uh, that's the year you're born, right? That is. I was, old motherfucker. I was 69, dude. Damn, yo. Yo, summer 69. <laughs> my parents were getting busy in February. I came out in October. It was like wintertime. You know what I mean? <laughs> I already know. You know what I'm saying? Um, yep. All good, dude. All love, man. I hope have a great tour. Tell everyone I said what's up, and like I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. I will, man, and I appreciate you giving me the time for sure. All right, stay rad, brother. We'll talk soon. Love you, dude. Love you, bro. Bye.